Welcome to the Transportation and Logistics Podcast, powered by Atlanta Dispatch and Humblebee Enterprises. I'm very excited to be here with a very special guest. We have Miss Latrina Pope, who is the founder and lead advisor of Redline. And before we begin, I just want to say that the Dispatcher's Guide to the Galaxy is available now as an ebook and a physical book. So you can acquire your copy online from barnesandnobles.com or Amazon. And if you're into the ebook space, you can get that bad boy from Apple Books. But look, without further ado, thank you again for joining me today, Miss Latrina. How's everything your way? It's going pretty awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And look, we are closing out January, but happy belated J15. Happy belated Founders Day to you and the ladies of Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I truly appreciate you guys. My wife is an AKA. She crossed that Georgia State just like I did. I crossed Alpha there. So, you know, you went to FAMU. You crossed during your undergrad years, right? I did, my Alpha brother. I am a Beta Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated member. Um, so came out a little while ago. So uh, Silver Soror. Um, oh, yeah. And so I'm excited. I'm excited about all the possibilities and all the the um, fruits that the organization and D9 in itself has brought us into um, fruition. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. What was Greek life for you while you were on campus at FAMU? Because I went to a PWI, but it had the feel of an HBCU because a lot of a lot of the same people that were part of the Divine Nine were running SGA and all of the different organizations on campus and you know, so it, it was great. But what was Greek life like on your campus? Oh, yeah. So um, at Florida NM, which is a HBCU, it Greek life is life. Right. And so all the organizations were on the yard and active. And um, it was just it was a part of the everyday. It was quite, quite amazing in the camaraderie um, across organizations, even not just within your own um, Greek organization, but across organizations and the sisterhood and the brotherhood and the family that was brought together in that. And it's so interesting because many of our friends crossed at the same time that we did in different organizations. So we have best friends that pledged uh, Beta Alpha Delta, you know, mm -hmm. and so at the same time that we were pledging Beta Alpha, aka, you know, and so it was just the, the camaraderie on the yard for all the organization was just intense and lovable um, in the sense that it just felt so even more like home. So going to an HBCU to begin with, you know, you feel like you're at home. Um, you feel like you are surrounded by your people. And when you go even deeper into that feeling and joining um, a Greek organization on the campus of an HBCU, um, it's it's very um, fulfilling um, in a sense that you definitely feel nurtured in that environment to be able to thrive and continue to grow and feeling you know, very much at home. And considering, you know, I went to Florida A&M, but I'm from Chicago. So mm. having that um, kind of familial um, environment so far away from home, um, 
it definitely proved um, to be a huge catalyst in my life and my success. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And it was one thing that really stood out about what you just said was the the camaraderie. We definitely nurtured that on my campus as well. And there was also the friendly competition, the rivalry. Everybody wanted to win all the awards on campus. And I'll say that it was definitely because of our counterparts that we were sharpened, you know, mm-hmm. so much. I'm not going to brag. I'm not bragging, right? I'm not bragging, but it sharpened us so much that it led us all the way to win national chapter of the year and international chapter of the year for my organization as a whole. Like we, we've done that twice now. And it was because of how we were, you know, handling our, our business on campus just because of that competition. So I, I definitely hear you there in, Likewise, it has given me a lot of the tools in my tool belt to be successful as I'm navigating a professional career. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you so much for sharing. And for those who have not had an opportunity to encounter you in the past, can you please give us a brief introduction? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So um, I am currently the founder and lead advisor uh, for Redlined Incorporated. And Redline um, was established for the purposes of helping businesses, small to mid-sized businesses, find um, more potential in what we call dysfunctional deals. So I have a a career in... um, audit. My degree from Florida A&M was in accounting. So I started off in audit, um, ended up in um, procurement and supply chain management, and um, ended my corporate career with Delta Airlines. And as I transitioned away from that particular organization, one of the things that really started to um, become very clear to me is the disservice I felt that suppliers were doing and not being better prepared and better suited to more effectively negotiate on their own behalf, right? And so as I started to leave the buy side organization, I really saw that as an opportunity to use that buy side knowledge to help better equip um, support suppliers and sellers, if you will, and being able to balance the negotiations at the table on their behind be, behalf. Because as you know, a better deal is simply better, right? So a bad deal for a supplier ultimately results in a bad deal for a buyer. And so nobody wants to be on the, on the receiving end of a bad deal. But I tell you, if any one person, any one um, participant in that deal is disenfranchised by that deal, everybody's going to suffer because of that bad deal. And that led me to bringing together sourcing professionals and procurement professionals and strengthening um, our position in the marketplace to serve uh, and create more functional deals for the supplier, which creates a better environment for negotiating and deal making all together. Yes, ma'am. So you're taking your strengths audit, you know, that's the foundation of all the big four accounting firms. They start with accounting and auditing. That's what they do, specialize, understand the processes and are able to see what's out of order. So taking your background with your foundation in that 
coupling it with years of industry experience of building up companies and you know even driving growth at these mega companies you're now taking that skill set and you're helping small to mid-sized businesses make sure that they're not being taken advantage of am i correct that is exactly correct. You know, um, I do have a sweet spot for even startups, right? So you're going in to a relationship with a supplier. And, and in most cases, you're just happy to be considered, right? Mm -hmm. You're just happy to be there. Um, and what that could do, especially as a startup, you know, if you're not negotiating effectively, you could risk your intellectual property going into this situation, right? Or you can risk your future earnings into that situation. Um, and what some, some, um, um, startups really, really struggle with is in that kind of pilot phase and getting stuck in that pilot phase because the contract wasn't strong enough to move you to the next position or to protect your property or your intellectual property um, during that initial phase. So those are the things that I really, really like to help um, suppliers understand how they can strengthen their position and not lose their client, right? Because you're always feel that, oh, if I negotiate too hard, they'll walk away. But if you have a value proposition and they've come to the table to you to negotiate, they already see some value in the product or the service that you're providing. So that shouldn't be your fear, right? But you cannot negotiate effectively from that position of fear. You really have to step into, you know, what you want your product or your service to deliver um, in the long term so that you can create the best sustaining value for you. And at the end of the day, maximize your profitability. Uh, yes, ma'am. Because ultimately, that's what it's about is being able to do business and do it in such a way that it drive sustainable growth. You can't do business at a loss. And that's what we've been seeing in the supply chain, at least for the freight brokerages who were accepting freight opportunities from shippers at a loss, just trying to buy the business until the market uh, turn. And as well as the flip side, the motor carrier, the trucker, the small fleet owner that was forced to take lower rated freight so that they can keep their wheels turning. But ultimately, it was just a, you know, it was one of those slow things. And now a lot of people have lost their authorities because that's what the transportation industry was doing over the past 24, 28 months mm -hmm. is uh, on the on the downward swing of that transportation cycle. Um, but, you know, bringing it back to what we're talking about here. I completely understand, but let me understand a little bit more for the type of person, the type of company that will come and seek your services. Is that saying uh, potentially someone who's in military contracts and they don't know how to create their actual response to a solicitation? Or are we talking about people who have the inside scoop on, you know, widgets and they want to sell these widgets to a large company who is in need of these widgets and they're not the most skilled at the negotiation process. So um, um, the services that we provide hit are, are hit on all of those things, right? So from a solicitation perspective, if you're responding to a solicitation, that's honestly where some of the problems begin, right? Mm -hmm. So in what you respond and how you're responding to, because if you're a 
a purchasing professional such as myself, you're held, you're going to be held to, 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 um, held to whatever you put in that response, right? And so how you position yourself in that response, what you're giving away or you think you're giving away um, um, as part of that response all becomes part of the relationship that you're developing with your prospective client, right? So the things that I um, am definitely um, providing services on is their ability to um, participate more effectively in those solicitations, RFP or um, um, government um, solicitations. Generally, I work more in the um, non-public, non-government section, but mm -hmm. all of that comes down to how you're responding to those RFPs and how you're preparing for them, um, the type of information that you're giving, making sure you're not giving away too much of your information, right? And so the way that they could be asking a question, making sure that you're not responding in a way that puts you at a disadvantage, giving away all the information that they need to take to somebody else, right? right? And ask them to build that widget, if you will. So right. the solicitation phase um, is part of it and having negotiations, um, tools and techniques and, and providing support, either um, crafting um, negotiation strategies, um, supporting active on-site negotiations, or just kind of engaging and maybe even doing some um, negotiation services in terms of scripting that information from for you are all the services that we can provide if you've gotten it to the plant to the point that you are you've already come to a gentlewoman's agreement as to your ability to provide these services you just need to get pen to paper at this point gotcha gotcha so mm -hmm. there is a such thing as too early in the process for you to even want to be a part of the situation. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not part of your sales team. And, and you know what I'm saying? So if you're still in a process of selling those services, um, I'm not necessarily engaged in that for you. Um, I have worked with clients as they're trying to frame up what their service offering is looking like and how they price that service offering in the marketplace. So I provided those supports as well, but I'm not necessarily going to the table with you and your um, business development team and selling in those solicitation of services, right? So, but once you've gone to, to that part and you've gotten your foot in the door and you've got an opportunity to provide a, a quote or provide a, a response to their solicitation or even draft up some preliminary contracting language. That's where I've been able to provide a lot of support in those areas. So, you know, I have a particular client who has been um, recurring much to my delight and they um, had a pilot activity. And so they came to me and say, OK, I needed SOW for the pilot. And so we did a really, really good job of framing that up for them to protect their intellectual property without allowing that that um, pilot to go on indefinitely, not giving away um, too much or buying the business of that pilot that enabled them to come back in this next phase and say, OK, they're expanding their services in this preliminary way in a, in a very um, phased approach. So now they're moving from um, a 
um, trial period SOW scope of work into more of a long-term, long, longer sustaining um, services agreement um, with the with the client that they're now working with. That was a prospect in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you know, you and I spoke and kind of coined the fact that uh, you pro- you provide the prenuptials to these service agreements to these service contracts and. Would you still think that's, does that still sound spot on for uh, the services that you're providing? It absolutely does. And um, I think, you know, the same way people think about prenups, right? So you always, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't want to think about the time when this is going to end. Well, you know, um, if you have something of value that you deem worth protecting, it is definitely in your best interest to have these conversations while everybody is happy and the, the in hunky-dory, right? Mm-hmm. And you can think with level heads, clear heads, and fair heads at that point, right? Because now it's not an adversarial relationship on the back end where you felt that you've been done wrong or vice versa. So a prenup in theory is what you're working on. So we know that, you know, the relationships that you're building and the conversations that you're having with Jim and James is fine. You know, however, um, roles change, organization change, people change. So when those folks that you've established our relationships are no longer there, you can't rely on that understanding that you have. It has to be in writing. It has to be contractually committed in terms of what your obligations were, as well as what you're going to be held accountable for, right? And so we have a lot of those kind of challenges, whereas there was an understanding in the beginning and maybe even for a long period of of the relationship, but now the parties have changed in the relationship. And what one person is holding accountable to based on their understanding of what this service or this product should provide is very different to the service level arrangement that you might have had with your prior. So having that information documented for you know more difficult times just just eases all the confusion and manages the risk of both parties. 100%, 100%. You've hit on a lot of things right there and I don't need to, you know, to restate it because it is self-explanatory. I mean, I'm going to say one thing. <laughs> you know, it's much better to have the agreement with everybody's already happy versus when people feel slighted because nothing's getting done then. So, um yeah, you're everybody's your going for the juggler at that point regardless. You know right. what I'm saying? And so there's much less of an opportunity for you to come to uh, a mutual agreement to part ways when, you know, everybody at the table is mad at somebody else, right? So, you know, very rarely in business do we have an amicable amicable, uh, separation, right? Mm -hmm. That is is a fairy tale. Somebody's getting fired, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's the supplier or in some cases the client. And that, as a matter of fact, that is some of the um, perspective that I bring to the table as well, because every client ain't a good client, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe you do need to fire your client. And, and and move on if if the services that you provide is not no longer aligned with you know the organization and the goals of the company right 
And so when you get into situations and you have a contract and your services, your delivery of your services are not well defined, you end up in this kind of scope creep um, situation where you're now doing a whole bunch of stuff that is not aligned with the pricing model or the services model that you established at the beginning of the relationship, right? So when you you price your product, you price your search, your subject, you're thinking to yourself, and I'll just use some very, you know, rudimentary type of explanations, you know, hey, I'm pricing this services based on me being able to deliver the work with eight hours of mm -hmm. man hours, right? Well, when you have scope creep and now you're running more reports or you're doing more, you know, field work or you're engaging more, you're bringing in additional services and support. Now you're putting in 16 man hours to support that client, right? But your pricing hasn't changed. That means your profitability has decreased by half, right? And so when you're not managing that contract effectively, it can have that kind of impact in a whole bunch of different ways for you that becomes um, increasingly unsustainable as an organization. And if you're not able to get back to that, you know, it's not always the answer to say, yeah, but I got this high profile client as part of my client base and you're losing money. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's just not worth it at that time. And sometimes you have to, you know, relinquish your relationship with that client and fire the client the same way. If you were no longer meeting their needs, they would fire you. Currently, do you consult outside of the supply chain? Um, yes, I do. Um, I do uh, training um in in the sales organizations as well um and helping them as part of maybe um negotiating some renewal agreements like some of the things that they might want to tackle talk about when they go to the table and have additional discussions where there might have been operational risk within the contract and how they can tighten that up or how they reposition or reframe the services that they were delivering or leverage new services against the old contract so i'll do uh training consultations and training and consultations for the sales team in that regard nice um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so kind of spreading, spreading the way, whether it's supporting the procurement organization or supporting uh, supply chain organization or the sales organization itself, you know, um, all of that leading to the ultimate bottom line profitability of the organization. OK, OK. And, you know, truth be told, I kind of want to ask you that because I know throughout your career, You've had plenty of opportunities to pour into your staff and help them develop into, you know, bright, efficient employees. And I want to know, do you still have that outlet? Is the things that you're doing with Redline allowing you to still do that type of work? In terms of professional development? Uh... Yeah, helping the, the people get better, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that was something that you became very skilled at. Um, I, I like to think that I have been, and I like to think that I definitely continue to do that. That's one of my, my favorite things to do is to do, um, um, 
I don't want to call them lectures, but I'll say talks. <laughs> <laughs> um, talks because they're definitely more interactive in trying to um, help folks in the profession really hone their skills and see how, you know, everyday life impacts some of this stuff, right? Making it more um, relatable into how they're moving forward. So I've done um, several um speaking engagements at the local universities and colleges here in Atlanta. And I love continuing to be able to do that. My son gets excited when he's here that I've, you know, had a, a, a presentation at one of the universities because he goes back and tells all his friends his mom is a teacher. Um, mm. when I say, okay, not quite, but I'll take it, right? <laughs> so yeah, I love to be able to continue to support the professional development activities. And I've done so, um, um, supporting um, supply chain clubs on the university, um, empowering, supporting, um, and um, sponsoring in some regards um, students to become more active in the various organizations. Um, currently providing some support um, to um, the Council of Supply Chain Management professionals and standing up um, a center of excellence relative to procurement. So anything that I can continue to do to help, you know, um, give back to the the industry in in and of itself, I love being able to share that. Yes, ma'am. I do need to make it out to some of these roundtable sessions in Atlanta with the CSCMP. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want to make sure that I'm out here supporting them as well because you got to be involved if you're going to be in the supply chain. There's so many outlets here in the Atlanta area. I'm pretty sure across the nation. But um, so if you're listening to this, definitely take advantage of being able to be a part of some of these associations. Uh, you never know who you're going to meet and their willingness to help you get to that next level. So um, thank you for bringing that up. And we didn't really talk about it, but how did you get in the supply chain. How'd you find yourself in the supply chain in the beginning? Oh, wow. Um, I kind of fell into supply chain and I, I kind of use that term loosely because I really like focusing on the procurement aspect of the supply chain or more importantly, the sourcing, the strategic sourcing aspect of supply chain. So, um, through audit, um, I did some independent work um, in um, um, real estate audit, and there was a need uh, here at a, a major airline based in Atlanta that they needed some consulting services related to um, some of the new what was it e-commerce solutions. Um, I did I served a stint doing e-commerce support during the Y2K, if I could say so. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I did a lot of e-commerce. And so one of the organizations here was standing up an e-commerce organization that they had partnered with. And I was able to leverage some of my knowledge and my resources um, through that partnership and helping them to stand up that organization, which happened to be um, supported by their supply chain organization. And then just kind Kind of got more privy into that information, understanding the dynamics of a um, multinational um, 
impact on strategies um, also led deeper into the supply chain organization where I then learned to manage um, you know, ground transportation, logistics, um, and even, you know, crew services in that regard. And so it just kind of kept growing and growing and expanding um, into IT and into healthcare and into, you know, um, other forms of um, corporate services. And it just became more and more interesting to me the more I leaned into it to understand the, the, the diversity and the complexity of services in particular um, is where I really found my niche because I feel like services is definitely the gray ear. It's so much gray when you talk about a service, right? And it's so, so much um, subject to interpretation, which makes the contractual language even more important. And so that just really intrigued me and just kind of, you know, I found myself in this rabbit hole and, and just, you know, just love continuing to barrel through it. Right, right, right. It did make me want to say, you know, after three years of business ownership with high momentum and Brick by brick, going through the process of building up your company's brand, the services, your protocols, that transition to Delta had to be pretty cool. Like you, you just described it like the rabbit hole of this huge organization, all this access, hands everywhere, and coming from a place where you literally built everything that you got. It had to be nice. <laughs> it had to be nice to know that you had a team to support, you know, your goals and your dreams at that point. It, it, and it is, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as part of entrepreneurship, you know, it's a, it's a lot of lonely nights, right? Um, yep. Because you got to get everything ready to bring a team into place. And, and stepping into an organization like Delta that was really thriving in the supply chain um, organization, um, the supply chain industry from a procurement perspective and how they were approaching things just really was extremely interesting because my as I entered the, the marketplace of supply chain, I did it from at that point, what was referred to as their, you know, their Sky Team partnership. So I really got this kind of crash course in the vast ways of procurement strategies across all of these international um, airlines that we would come and do roundtables on and try to identify synergies and opportunities where we could um, better manage our processes for the good of the alliance. And so that in and of itself just gave a whole lot more um, insight as to the breadth and scope and strategic viability of strategic sourcing globally. Um, and so it, it was extremely exciting uh, to say the least. And then to have a team to go out there and kind of, um, you know, manifest these visions, if you will, mm -hmm. um, was, was pretty awesome. And a, a very strong team um, within the organizations as I continue to see um, my um, alumni out there making phenomenal strides uh, in various um, industries for the supply chain profession. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And look, I don't know if you can tell, but 
there was some real passion behind what I was saying with the three years of brick by brick building something up because that's exactly what I experienced myself. And I, I, uh, I definitely heard it. I know, you know, it, yeah. it's a, you know, they, they call it the labor of love. Um, and, you know, labor is such an understatement for what you're, <laughs> you know, what you're going through, you know, because you're, you're learning everything you thought you knew, you know, when you hit another um, experience, another type of relationship, another opportunity, there is more to learn and more to ha be had and more to figure out, usually independently, right? So your ability to leverage the resources that you have in the industry, in the marketplace, in the community itself um, becomes very viable, um, very um, important to your overall viability. So Redline is not your first stint with entrepreneurship, but after having that warm, fuzzy, cozy support system with Delta, was it challenging to dial it back up for Redline? Um, it actually was not. It wasn't because, um, you know, I, I my transition from Delta um, was a long road, fortunately for me. Right. And so from the time that I announced that I would separate from the company to the time that I actually walked out of the door was about a five month period. So, you know, during that time, you know, um, most people have short timers because they are leaving in two weeks and they kind of turn their brain off. Well, I had a lot of lot, lot of road to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it gave me a lot of opportunity to think about what I wanted to do next and how I could, you know, add value out there, right? And, and not just kind of, you know, recreate the wheel. And, and so as I went about my day-to-day -day within the organization is when I start to see where these opportunities um, were out there to create value for this supply side, right? And so then going through the process of standing up the organization from there was a little, you know, a little bit easier in theory, right? But you, you know, I mean, I, I don't care how many connections you think you have or how many, you know, entry points you think are there, you know, there's still a lot of grinding to be had, right? So it still took, you know, a, a, a while to get everything up, even though I had, you know, some really good um, introductory um, conversations and even some some work, you know, long term sustainability of those kind of services still takes a, a while to get your feet in there. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And look, I know that we've covered quite a bit. I did want to ask, was there anything that you wanted to mention that we haven't had a chance to highlight about you, your background, about what Redline is currently doing? Anything? Um, yeah, sure. So, you know, this year, Redline, what we're doing is really trying to um, re-snap the vision. I think there, you know, as we hit that 
COVID in 2022, it just kind of put everything in a, in a holding pattern for most people and most things. But it also brought to light, you know, some of the fallacies of our contractual relationship, right? And the lack of sustainability and, you know, how one-sided some of them could have been with like um, inflationary clauses or, um, you know, um, a client's ability to, you know, um, terminate a relationship with little to no, or how they would, you know, cut back your 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 cost, right? And so they would say, "Hey, we just can't pay you. Here's what we're gonna pay you." Well, the problem with that now that we're on the other side of that, I think suppliers are doing that to a lot of the buyers, right? So they've kind of held these costs or even took pay cuts during this very very difficult time, and now the market is swinging and the pendulum is swinging in such a way that the buyers are getting hit with that, you know. So going back through and kind of refocusing our attention for a, a better deal holistically, I think is where we want to be. Because just like, you know, you know, the they you got hit as a supplier when it swung the other way. Now you're swinging it towards the buyer that thing, you know, with this level of momentum is not sustainable for the viability of both organizations. And so kind of reframing that and refreshing that. It's kind of the goal that we're going after. And so targeting that and making sure that I provide a, an avenue for educating um, um, my clients on how to better manage um, their relationships in the marketplace is really one of the things that I'm focusing on this year, making sure that we have that, that conversation for education. Yes, ma'am. And it is so important. And I truly appreciate you for bringing these services and your skill set, the background, the, the years that you put into learning and mastering the craft, bringing that to the people and allowing them to leverage your experiences to make their company stronger. So I appreciate you. And how can people find out more about you, about Redline, about any of these things that you have going on? So uh, I am on the World Wide Web, right? Hey. Um, <laughs> if we can dare still call it that in this in this uh, environment. So I can be reached at redline.co, C-O, not .com. So it's R-E-D-L-I-N-E-D dot C-O. And the whole concept of Redline and my business is from a negotiation um, perspective, when you're going through a contract and you're making changes in the contract, it's usually called redlining the contract. And so that's kind of what the focus is. When you think of contracts, you think of redlining and you'll think of us. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, look, I truly appreciate you for joining me here. Did you have any final remarks, any closing remarks? No, I just really appreciate the opportunity and I, I love what you guys are doing to continue to make this podcast as a, a vehicle for information to all of your constituents out there. And I'm just happy to be a part of it. And if there's any questions or comments, please send them my way post um, the podcast and I'll be delighted to follow up. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, look, as we close, I did want to give a huge shout out to my sponsor, Thai Software, who is helping brokerages of all sizes streamline their processes and scale their businesses. So whether you're a broker that specializes in the full truckload or LTL, 
they have a solution for you and tell them that Jory sent you. And this is the craziest part. Uh, there's a huge conference that's going on very, very soon called Manifest. If you stop by their table, you have a chance to win tickets to the Super Bowl. <laughs> wow. So, right? You know, I was like, good job. That is that's dope. That's the best giveaway I've ever heard of at a conference. So big shout out to Thai Software who are making dreams come true. <laughs> um, but look, I appreciate you again. And everybody tune in Monday, 730 Eastern Standard Time as we partner up with Freightway Sonar Team, let you know where to position your trucks to take advantage of the market. Um, but thank you, Miss Pope, and you be blessed. Thank you. Have a great evening. Talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. Yes. Thank you.